Thank you. Thank you for having me. And you can never be too Jewish. Shalom and welcome to the Two Jewish Radio Show with Rabbi Sam Kohan and Friends, a weekly serving of everything Jewish. We'll have a great hour together today of news, music, comedy, and conversation. Our guest this morning is Brian Stern, an expert on hostage rescues, founder of Project Dynamo, discussing the hostages held in Gaza. We'll also have a visit from our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Please email your comments to us at 2jewishradio18 at gmail.com or visit us on the web at 2jewishradio.com. The opinions of the host and guests on 2Jewish are their own and not those of the radio station. 2Jewish is paid for by 2Jewish Radio programs and podcasts, Tucson, Arizona. And now, here's Rabbi Sam Kohan and 2Jewish. Shalom. It has been a long time since we needed the holiday of Hanukkah as much as we do right now. While there certainly have been other awful times in modern Jewish history, the past two months, ever since October 7th, have been particularly challenging. We surely need a festival of light in this time of darkness. Just to recap the last eight weeks. First, an unthinkable and utterly horrific atrocity was perpetrated by Palestinian terrorists on southern communities in Israel with deliberate, brutal murder of over 1,200 people, including children, families, and the elderly, burning people alive, mass rapes, and the murder of young women, and the abducting at gunpoint of 240 innocents into the hellhole of Hamas's underground tunnel network, beneath Gaza. Then, after the initial shock and horror of these deliberate, sadistic Palestinian crimes against humanity, there was a worldwide surge in anti-Semitism that continues today. It is fueled by an incredible tide of Palestinian lies and the pathetic capitulation to those lies by international organizations. Hello, UN and worldwide women's organizations and on university campuses all across America, Canada, Australia, and Europe. The left-wing and progressive embrace of these systematic falsehoods has made it acceptable, even mandatory, to pretend that the atrocities perpetrated by Palestinian terrorists were either justified or didn't really happen, even though the Hamas sadists filmed themselves committing multiple murders of innocents and posted them online. And of course, mainstream media has brought the invented history peddled by these Palestinian liars and played them for pathos. For humanitarian reasons, we must enforce a ceasefire, they proclaim. You know when there was a ceasefire? October 6th, before these horrific Palestinian acts planned for well over a year were perpetrated. When the greatest joy this season comes from the release after seven or eight weeks of a trickle of the innocents brutally torn from their lives, allowed to go home in exchange for Israel's release of a multiple of their number of violent Palestinian terrorist criminals held in jails, you know that things are not excellent. And when Hamas is so desperate to stop being destroyed by the Israeli military that they invited in, that it exchanges some of these carefully stolen human shields 
you know that the ceasefire is all to the advantage of the evil murderers, rapists, and Palestinian terrorist kidnappers who have thrived on the suffering of their own people. I was subjected to a program on CNN the other night. I had tuned to the radio version of the network as I drove home, trying to get any news it could about the release of hostages. Unfortunately, CNN was broadcasting what can only be called a pure Palestinian propaganda program instead of covering the news. Under the false flag of an in-depth report, it allowed a series of spectacular lies to be uncritically stated. Perhaps the most egregious of them was that Israel was a colonist enterprise, Oh, and that it practiced ethnic cleansing in 1948, that millions of Palestinians in 1948 were forced from their homes into Gaza and the West Bank in refugee camps. Every one of those statements is factually and demonstrably untrue, easily proven false. But the person narrating this ridiculous charade in place of the news on CNN was either too ignorant or too gullible to contradict a single part of it. Fact, Israel was never a colony of a Western power. It was formed by Jews returning to our ancient homeland, purchasing land, improving it dramatically in the face of terrorism and persecution and corruption. There was no ethnic cleansing by Israelis in 1948. In fact, we Jews had just experienced the worst ethnic cleansing in history by the Nazis and their allies. And those allies included the principal leader of the Arabs in Palestine, the Mufti, who idolized Adolf Hitler and lived in Germany during a good part of World War II. The fact that most Arabs in the former British and Ottoman province of Palestine remained in Israel when the UN created the nation, and those Arabs became Israeli citizens, makes it self-evident that those who left could have stayed. If they had, they would have had much better lives than they ever experienced in Egypt or Jordan or Lebanon or Syria, all dictatorships of one kind or another and certainly better lives than they ended up with in refugee camps. Israeli Arabs have thrived, and the vast majority have no interest in living under Arab regimes, least of all under Islamist terrorists and murderers like Hamas. Arab land and homes were not expropriated in 1948, unlike the land and businesses and possessions of the Jews of the many Arab countries who were expelled or had to flee after Israel was created. And nobody ever talks about those Jews from the Arab countries who had everything stolen before they were kicked out. They had been there for 2,000 years. Perhaps the worst idiocy of this particular CNN piece was its unquestioned acceptance that Quote, millions of Palestinians were expelled from their homes in Palestine, that is Israel. Fact. In 1948, the total population of the area of the British Mandate of Palestine was 1.8 million people. That area included today's Israel, Jordan, the Gaza Strip, and the West Bank. Of those, about 621,000 were Jews. That's all. That's the first Israelis 
while about a million were Arabs split between Muslims and Christians. That includes the area of Jordan, by the way. Within the borders of Israel after the War of Independence in 1948, about 200,000 Arabs were resident, both Muslims and Christians, who became Israeli citizens. They could vote in a democratic country. That is, there were fewer than a million Arabs in Israel, Jordan, including the West Bank, part of Jordan until 1967, and Gaza. If that's it, how could millions of them have been refugees? They weren't. Of course, millions of quote-unquote Palestinians, a term not applied to the Arabs of the region until the 1960s, by the way, were not forced from their homes because millions of people didn't even exist in these areas. And while refugee camps were established for those Arabs who fled the war or who chose to leave on the promise that the Arab armies would sweep all the Jews into the sea, you know, another genocide just like the Holocaust, and they would be rewarded with the Jews' land, homes, and possessions. Well, the Arab countries who set up those refugee camps deliberately created them to be impoverished human collection pits to radicalize the refugees and turn them into weapons against Israel. To blame Israel for everything that has gone wrong for the Arabs of Palestine is to invent fake history. Absolutely fake history. So let's talk about some real history in Israel. You know, actual, verified facts. For well over a thousand years, Israel was a Jewish nation. At times, it encompassed two Jewish nations. A millennium before the first Arabs set foot in the land of Israel, in fact, there was a Jewish state. That was true for a thousand years in an Arab-free Middle East. A little over 2,200 years ago, a Greek king ruling from Syria tried to force Jews to give up their Judaism, to abandon our religion and beliefs and accept his in its place. The Jews rebelled against his autocratic regime. It was an unequal fight. A poorly armed, untrained, fractious group of farmers, priests, and storekeepers fought against the most powerful army in the world at the time. It began as a guerrilla revolt, but it grew into a full-fledged rebellion for independence of the Jews. Under the leadership of Kohanim, high priests named Matityahu and Yehuda, Mattathias and Judah in English, that fight became a national movement that revived the Jewish state and established its full independence again after a hiatus of several centuries. The Hasmoneans, the name of the family of the Maccabees, restored the temple in Jerusalem, cleansed it of impurities, and rededicated it. The holiday that remembers this rededication is, of course, called Hanukkah, which means dedication. The war that the Maccabees fought for religious freedom saved Judaism, which meant that its daughter religions, Christianity and later Islam, eventually would exist. We commemorate that Jewish military victory with the celebration of Hanukkah, the only Jewish holiday really based on a military victory, and we rejoice in the religious freedom that it guaranteed. For hundreds of years, even after the Maccabees, we Jews fought to preserve our nation and retain our identity. 
Nearly 2,000 years ago, the greatest power of the ancient world, the Roman Empire, attacked and destroyed the state of Israel. But we Jews continued to live and even thrive in the land of Israel, in the Galilee and the Golan regions in particular, for several hundred more years. And there was always a Jewish community in Israel, even as its political control moved from the Romans to the Byzantines to the Persians to the Arabs to the Turks to the British. We always remembered Zion and sought to return to our homeland to rebuild the Jewish state, the only one ever on the planet. When Israel was revived in the 20th century as a Jewish nation, Hanukkah took on tremendous importance for Israelis. They saw themselves rightly as modern Maccabees, fighting against massive enemy armies, this time Arab armies, and winning in spite of extreme odds. They established a nation, Israel, that guarantees freedom of religion, as the events of Hanukkah did so long ago. And they kindled light anew in dark times, back then, as we will again do beginning this Thursday night at sunset. To play us in for Hanukkah this morning on To Jewish, here's Lisa Loeb's beautiful song for the festival that begins this coming week. It's called Light. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, night celebrate our light. That was past to Jewish guest Lisa Loeb singing Light for Hanukkah. You can hear that song at Beit Simcha's Lighting the Way Celebration, Sunday night, December 10th, the week from tonight, the fourth night of Hanukkah. Wonderful food, drink, music, stories by renowned storyteller Jim Weiss, a fabulous celebration. Join us. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org to sign up. Our guest this morning is fascinating. A 25-year veteran of counterintelligence and anti-terrorism military work, he's created an organization that works to free hostages and political prisoners of evil regimes, as well as victims of natural disasters. His name is Brian Stern. Meet him and find out all about what he and his organization Project Dynamo are doing now in Gaza and elsewhere when he joins us in just a moment here on Two Jewish. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul 
of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki Tribe. Light the way for Hanukkah and Beit Simha's great 5th anniversary celebration. It's the best Hanukkah celebration in Arizona and possibly the world. Storyteller Jim Weiss, internationally known to generations of adults and children for his wide-ranging body of fantastic stories, world history, classic literature, children's and biblical stories, will share his storytelling talents at Lighting the Way. Congregation Beit Simha's 5th anniversary and Hanukkah celebration, Sunday, December 10th at 5 p.m. at 12111 North La Jolla at Tangerine. Beit Simha at La Choya. Catalina Catering will provide outstanding food, including gourmet latkes. There will be wine, bubbly, great music by the High Five, Hanukkah candle lighting, and a magnificent birthday cake to mark five years of growth, learning, and community. Everyone is invited to join in the festivities celebrating rededication and success for Tucson's newest and fastest-growing congregation and the only synagogue in the Northwest. Tickets and sponsorships are available at BaitSimhaTucson.org. That's BaitSimhaTucson.org. Or by sending a check to Bates Simha at 5501 North Oracle, Suite 125 in Tucson at 85704. Call 520-276-5675 for more information. We welcome the Two Jewish this morning. Our guest, Brian Stern, is the founder and CEO of Project Dynamo, which works where I think governments fail to work to try to rescue people to bring them out of dangerous situations, in particular hostages. He is a multiple-tour combat veteran of both the U.S. Army and Navy with many decorations, 25 years of military experience focused on special ops, including oh, hostage rescue, counterterrorism, all of which is highly appropriate right now, counterproliferation, critical technology, protection, unconventional warfare. Good morning and welcome to Two Jewish. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, Brian, you've had extensive experience in trying to bring hostages out of difficult situations. Um, tell us what prompted you to found Project Dynamo. Uh, I started Project Dynamo in response to the failed withdrawal of Afghanistan in 2021, where, yeah, I was, I'm an Afghan vet. I'm also a 9-11 first responder. I was sitting in my living room watching it kind of unfold on TV. I was kind of out of government. I was out of this line of work, more or less. And, you know, I was in the private sector. And then there was breaking news on TV. Literally, as there was breaking news, I was working on my speech for the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which was only a few weeks away. And the breaking news was this image of a military plane, the C-17, and Afghans falling to their deaths from the landing gear, like we all saw. And... It occurred to me, 20 years later to the day, I've buried dozens and dozens and dozens of friends in Afghanistan. 20 years later to the day, almost to the day from, from the, you know, from the attacks on 9-11, the Taliban are back in charge, people are jumping to their deaths, and I wanted to do something. It never occurred to me that I'd be rescuing American citizens, because we have the military and the intelligence community for that. That's what I've done for 25 years. But the reality is, is they were kind of turned away. From there, we expanded into the war in Ukraine. From there, we went into Russia. From there, we went to Sudan. From there, we did Hurricane Ian. From there, we did the fires in Maui. And then we went to Israel uh, the day after the attacks on October 7th. And now we're doing things in Gaza. So all in, we've rescued, we, we've rescued just under 7,000 people in seven big deployments. And it turns into about 608 missions. And what's interesting is not an ounce of help from the government at all. We are entirely donor funded, so, all on a shoestring budget, more or less. And we've done everything from break people out of jail from Russian captivity, the first victims of the first American victims of war crimes alive since World War II, the first, second and third American victims of war crimes alive since World War II. We actually broke out of Russian torture and captivity last year. 
So three different operations. So we're pretty prolific. We've done a lot of things, but but again, we entirely donor funded. ProjectDynamo.org is our website. Shameless plug. And um, that's what we are. That's all right. Um, and we will definitely talk about the hostages in Gaza in a moment. In the interest of full disclosure, I, my wife and I and baby were on Maui when those fires hit, and uh, we couldn't get out for a few days. We didn't have power, all the rest of it. We were about maybe a mile and a half, two miles north of Lahaina. And I do remember as we drove out through the wreckage of everything, it was like three, four days later, the, we could see this long line of FEMA trucks coming in and, you know, all of this rescue stuff like four days after the event. So I, I can understand the urgency of trying to get people there quickly. And I'll ask you, when you were there in Lahaina, how many military helicopters did you see? Yeah, we didn't see any, to be honest. Not, not one. No. Nope. We had four. Yeah. We had four. So how do you explain, and this is a great example, this is why Dynamo exists. From Lahaina to Oahu, which is where the military and Pacific Fleet are headquartered. A huge military base on Oahu. Yep. Huge. Over 500 military aircraft, over 6,000 military medical people, 100,000 troops, Navy SEALs, Green Berets, all kinds of stuff. And these guys couldn't figure out how to go from Hawaii to Hawaii in four, five days, six days. Yeah. It was six days before the first military helicopter showed up. We were there the next day. So this is where Dynamo excels is while the government, we're not anti-government by any stretch. We're all veterans. We all served, we've, you know, done our thing. Sure. But we recognize that the way it is today, for whatever the reasons are, and we're not political either, but we, so it's not a political thing. You know, President Biden didn't call up the, the commander of the Pacific Fleet and say, I order you to not fly helicopters. That didn't happen. But the reality is, is we did, Project Dynamo did, 2,400% more operations than the entire Department of Defense put together in Maui. We will talk much more with Brian Stern about Project Dynamo, but particularly focused on Gaza, the hostages in Gaza, and the complexities of that situation when we come back in a moment here on Too Jewish. Beit Simcha, the House of Joy, a wonderful Jewish synagogue in northwest Tucson in the Catalina Foothills, celebrates a fabulous array of services, classes, and events this winter. Established by passionate, caring congregants and me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, Beit Simcha is a vibrant, vital community that strives every day to serve God with joy. A progressive congregation in northwest Tucson and the foothills, Beit Simcha is open to everyone throughout the metropolitan area, providing weekly Shabbat services, youth and adult education academy courses, social justice opportunities, outreach, and cultural Jewish programming. Join us in person for Shabbat services or come on Facebook Live. Go to our website, BeitSimchaTucson.org. B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.org. We welcome members and guests in our sanctuary. Call 520-276-5675. That's 520-276-5675. Religious school is available for school-aged children or grandchildren. Join us in our fabulous Hebrew school, bar and bat mitzvah programs, Torah Tykes experience, confirmation and teen programs, all in a fun, relaxed setting with great Jewish learning. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org to sign up. 
Hanukkah is coming this week. Celebrate every night with us on our Facebook page with our now traditional menorah lighting. Join me at Beit Simcha as we celebrate our fifth anniversary on the fourth night of Hanukkah, Sunday, December 10th at 5 p.m., called Lighting the Way, a fabulous festive evening of food, music, stories, candles, and joy, featuring internationally renowned storyteller Jim Weiss. Beit Simcha's services, classes, and events are open to everyone. Come in person Friday night or Saturday morning or both. Friday night, 6.30 p.m. Shabbat services. Saturday morning, services are at 10 a.m. preceded by Torah study at 9 a.m. All with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, leading them. The Facebook page, Beit Simcha Tucson, has all of our services by virtual experience. Our Adult Education Academy classes are available live and on Zoom. Our wonderful religious school is available too, live and on Zoom. Go to Beit Simcha Tucson, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.org for more information. To attend services, our great religious school, Torah text programs, bar and bat mitzvah, confirmation, high school programs, rich array of adult education, academy courses, Hanukkah, menorah lighting, and of course, lighting the way, well, go to BeitSimchaTucson.org or call 520-276-5675. That's 520-276-5675. Join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan in the most vital congregation in all of Southern Arizona. Do you know someone who personally made a major difference for the whole Jewish people? An individual who's done important work for Klal Yisrael and deserves to be highly recognized for that effort. As president of the Kohan Memorial Foundation, I'm grateful that the modest cash awards we started more than 10 years ago have grown into a substantial amount of unrestricted funds given to winners with the help of donors like many of you. The foundation, named for my grandparents, Rabbi Samuel S. Kohan and Irma Kohan, makes these awards for important service to Klal Yisrael, the entire Jewish people. That service can be in one of four activities, unity, education, creative arts, or rescue. Past Kohan Award recipients are remarkable people who've done outstanding work. If you know someone who qualifies for a Kohan Foundation Award, please go to kohanaward.com, C-O-H-O-N, award.com, and fill out the simple nomination form. That website is kohanaward.com. Nominate an individual or donate yourself. Do it for the whole Jewish people. If you have a question, comment, compliment, or criticism, Kvetrick Fell, please email us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. That's T-O-O, JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. Or visit our website, 2JewishRadio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through the website, streaming us from there, or downloading us from the Apple iTunes Store as very popular Jewish podcast. Top 10 in America, according to Moment Magazine, over 200,000 downloads on Podbean, now on Spotify, too. Post a rating, review to Jewish wherever you listen to our podcast. Those comments help. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation. Known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. 
the most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of southern Arizona. Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful, grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, conservative, and orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Rabbi. Tom, people have been throwing around the word genocide very freely of late. Uh, we Jews know what genocide can mean, but w- technically, what does it mean, and how is it really applied? Well, important questions, especially in today's climate. You remember just a couple weeks ago, there were mobs of students at UCLA chanting, Israel, Israel, you can't hide. We want Jewish genocide. I recall. Well, apart from the fact that undergrads or high school graduates in general have no grammar these days, what does genocide mean? Especially Jewish genocide. Is it genocide of Jews or genocide by Jews? <laughs> what constitutes Jewish genocide? That's such an ambiguous statement. It's it's a catchy chant, but it also reveals the dark side of all that. People say, well, shouldn't we be free to criticize Israel? Yes, but calling for the genocide of all Jews or calling on fellow citizens to finish the job that Hitler only got halfway through, that's not criticism of Israel. That's, that's, hate, that, that's hate speech. Right. And in many countries, not so much ours, hate speech is penalized and you can be arrested and carted off to jail for stuff like that. As we discussed last week. Yeah. Uh, But genocide technically means the killing of a nation, a genus. And there are all kinds of examples throughout history of genocides or attempted genocides. In the 20th century, the most famous, of course, was the Holocaust, and that cut closest to home. And the Nazis did succeed in eliminating like one-third of world Jewry and probably more than half of European Jewry. So they didn't quite complete the job. And what's shocking today is that so many people are calling for the completion of that task. But I would like, because this is so politically charged and so emotional for many of your listeners and for pretty much all Jews in the world, I would like to talk about other genocides going on in the world today as we speak and take a look at some of those with the background question looming over all of this, why don't those other genocides get as much coverage as the so-called genocide in Gaza? Well, it's it does make you wonder somehow it's it's only the one in Gaza or which isn't really a genocide that gets all the attention. 
and incredibly horrible things going on everywhere else that nobody seems to care about. Right. Um, we will talk about that next week. Start on this painful but but powerful topic. Thanks, I wish Tom. I could say with my usual sincerity that I look forward to it, yeah. but I don't really. No, no, but you know, some things we just got to do. Thanks so much, Tom. Sure. It's time now for our old Jewish joke of the week. Jewish humor, your Bubby and Zadie new, brought to you by Two Jewish as a public service. This one, an annual Hanukkah classic. A woman walks into the post office to buy stamps for her Hanukkah cards. She says to the clerk, may I have 50 Hanukkah stamps, please? What denomination, asks the clerk. The woman answers, oi, oi vey. Has it come to this? Fine. Give me uh, six Orthodox, 12 Conservative, and 32 Reform Stamps. That was the old Jewish joke of the week special feature of Two Jewish. Just for you, you should live and be well. And now a word of Torah. This week we read the portion of Ayeshev, which begins the story of Joseph, one of the great narratives in all world literature. We'll continue with this fateful tale through the rest of the book of Genesis, and the extraordinary plot lines involving Joseph eventually set up the rest of early Jewish history. But first, Vayeshev starts by further illustrating the exploits, good and often bad, of one of the truly spectacularly dysfunctional families in all history. The great patriarch Jacob, his four wives, and 13 children. If you thought the Borgia family had problems, if you believed Oedipus had a bad home life, if you feel the Kennedys were cursed, if you think that the Kardashians... Um, never mind them. In any case, none of these epic familial failures have anything on Jacob and his brood. In fact, you can make a case that the Jacob clan has some of the troubles of each. In addition to the vigorous rivalry between the varsity wives, Leah and Rachel, the built-in rivalries between the JV wives, Bilha and Zilpah, the phenomenal sibling rivalries that take place among all the 12 vigorous, manipulative brothers, all abetted by truly lousy parenting by the patriarch Jacob, there is also plenty of simply bad luck. There are betrayals galore, rape, revenge killing, incest, mass circumcision, mass slaughter, massive deceptions, conspiracy to defraud, and of course, selling a blood relative into slavery in another country. Not conduct we prefer in our own families. Yet with all the action of every kind in Vayeshev, there's also a moment of pure fate, an incident that illustrates that something greater than mere human weakness is at work. Early in this week's Parsha, Joseph is sent by his father to spy on his own brothers. Jacob suspects that the boys, young men by now, have been taking care of dad's sheep, but selling a few on the side to make extra shekels. While searching for his brothers, J- Joseph... While searching for his brothers, Joseph gets lost and wanders helplessly until we're told he bumps into a stranger who sends him in the right direction to find his brothers. When Joseph finds them, he sets in motion events that land him in slavery and eventually prison in Egypt. 
and well then lead to the whole family going down to Egypt, later being enslaved, and a few centuries later still getting freed, crossing the Red Sea, getting the Torah. Well, the world has never been the same since. But none of it would have happened if Joseph hadn't wandered upon a friendly, anonymous stranger who helped him out. That is, all the turbulence, energy, and activity of Jacob's family would not really have mattered if not for a nameless stranger who sets our story onto its true course, one that will eventually end in peoplehood and a great posterity. For all of it to happen, an unknown guy has to point the way. The moral of the story? You never know just what your own small act might do for somebody else, or how it might affect history. So in this winter holiday season, why not take a moment and do something for somebody else, even somebody you don't know? You too might make the world a better place and shape the future, no matter how well-adjusted your own family is. When we come back in a moment, our guest this morning, Brian Stern, the creator of Project Dynamo, tells us how his organization helps bring out hostages from places governments can't go or won't go, and what the effect on having been a hostage will be on the people who are released. Find out all about it when we return in a moment on Too Jewish. We continue with our Too Jewish update on news of Jews around the world with commentary. Henry Kissinger died last week at the age of 100, a figure of immense importance in the late 1960s and 70s. Kissinger was central to U.S. foreign policy in the Nixon and Ford administrations, both widely lauded and highly controversial. For better and worse, Kissinger won the Nobel Peace Prize for the negotiations that led towards the end of the Vietnam War. He was National Security Advisor and then Secretary of State throughout the Nixon and Ford presidencies and was an unexpectedly charismatic and famous figure in popular culture. Kissinger was pivotal to Nixon's opening up relations with communist China and more or less shaped U.S. foreign policy in the 1970s. Kissinger was born in Germany to a Jewish family with origins going back centuries in Bavaria. A youth soccer player of some distinction with Hitler's election and the rising tide of Nazi anti-Semitic laws in the 1930s, Kissinger was forced from school and soccer, and his father lost his teaching job. Kissinger sometimes defied the segregation imposed by the Nazi racial laws by sneaking into soccer stadiums to watch matches, resulting in beatings from security guards. In 1938, the family fled Nazi Germany to avoid further persecution, landing in the Washington Heights section of New York City, home to many German-Jewish refugees. Kissinger was 15 when he arrived in America. He never lost his very strong accent. A brilliant and motivated student, Kissinger enrolled in City College of New York after graduating high school, but was drafted into the U.S. Army in 1943 during, of course, World War II. His Army service included promotion from private to sergeant. He was moved into the intelligence branches because of his fluency in German and his clearly evident competence and intellectual brilliance. Kissinger saw combat during the Battle of the Bulge. By the end of the war, he had been put in charge of sections tracking down Gestapo agents after the war and the denazification of a district in Germany. After his discharge from the army, he continued to work as a civilian employee teaching in the intelligence school. 
Kissinger enrolled in Harvard in 1946, graduating summa cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa. His undergraduate thesis, some 400 pages long, led to a limit on the length of those documents. Kissinger went on to get his master's and Ph.D. at Harvard by 1954 in political science, beginning a meteoric career in academia at Harvard. He published five books on governmental systems, advancing his theories of real politic, reflecting his views that legitimacy in government simply meant being acknowledged as legitimate by the existing orders of the era. He directed the prestigious Harvard International Seminar for 20 years, began consulting regularly for government agencies on foreign policy. A supporter of Nelson Rockefeller for president, he eventually shifted to supporting Richard Nixon in the general election of 1968 and was appointed national security advisor when he won. In Jewish terms, although the most prominent Jew in the U.S. for some time, Kissinger strongly resisted tying Soviet policy to allowing Soviet Jews to emigrate from Russia. During the Yom Kippur War, Kissinger manipulated matters to allow Israel more time to defeat the Arab armies at the end of the war. He sought to limit the U.S. resupply of Israel's military. However, he was overruled by Nixon himself, who gave Israel more than twice what it asked for. Kissinger was integral to the negotiations that eventually led to the Camp David Accords under the succeeding Carter presidency. Kissinger was so obviously Jewish that his own very limited connection to Jewish ritual or experience played little role in his public life. Kissinger, while undeniably brilliant and incredibly influential, remained, and now after his death, ending his long life, remains a controversial figure. Kissinger's fingerprints are all over the contemporary world. It's not clear just how much he did was for good, and how much ended up doing something quite different than even he may have planned, or than is genuinely good. Real politic is about what is perceived to work, not about idealistic visions of what might be possible. Henry Kissinger is gone now at the age of 100, a protean person and personality. And that's the news of Jews around the world. We welcome back to Two Jewish, our guest this morning. Brian Stern is the founder and CEO of Project Dynamo, a um, donor-funded organization that brings people out who are in deep trouble um, as hostages and emergency situations. He's a multiple-tour combat veteran, highly decorated of the Army and Navy, 25 years of military experience, and has been highly active in a variety of theaters in bringing people out. Um, so the Gaza situation is extremely difficult. Uh, I, I don't want to say unique. You would know much better about that than I. Tell me about what has made that hostage situation so difficult. Well, it, it, it is unique. It, each one of these things are unique. It doesn't matter. We've done operations all over the place. And every single one of them are different. They're almost like kids. You have three kids. One, they're, they're all only children, aren't they? One's going to grow up to be a lawyer. One's going to grow up to be a doctor. And one's going to grow up to be Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> How do you know when they're, you know, they're in the playpen, right? Right. So, right. yeah, a lot of similarities. You know, there's always people in a bad spot, surrounded by people who are bad. And we're good guys. They're bad guys. And, you know, there's a lot of those elements are consistent. But generally speaking, each one of these operations, not even war zones, each one of the operations are unique 
and special and different compared to the next one. Gaza as a problem set is very different, and also this particular hostage situation is very different. We haven't had this many hostages taken, uh, American hostages, since since 1979 when the Iranians stormed the embassy and we had hostages for 444 days. Rarely do we see a superpower, nuclear-capable country like Israel with this kind of demographic on its border where there's conflict like this. It's kind of, it's actually pretty rare. So conversely, Hamas are the, you know, the original gangsters. These are the OGs of global jihad. Right. This is, you know, Osama bin Laden right. used to write and reflect about Al Qaeda, wanting how he wanted Al Qaeda to be like Hezbollah and Hamas, almost like this is what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> so Hamas is a highly sophisticated enemy and as demonstrated by October 7th, they conducted a sea air land campaign where they practiced and trained for about a year in an area that's 25 miles by seven miles big, which is tiny. Uh, it, which is under constant surveillance. They planned it, trained for it, resourced it, and frankly executed it beautifully, completely undetected. That's a feat unto itself. I will tell you that, that American special forces would be challenged to conduct that level of com complex domain where tactical objectives were achieved. So the problem set is fascinating because Israel is a very sophisticated adversary. They're a, they're a, 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 a full democracy. They have all the things that every normal country has. Uh, they have a good economy, you know, all those things. And at the same time, right next door is basically a pretty terrible place that nobody ever wants to be with an incredibly sophisticated adversary that understands propaganda media and to the extent when it comes to hostages, understands how to leverage, how to leverage real geopolitical sway in a very real way, very real way to the extent, you know, understanding that, the headline news of every major news outlet on planet Earth in the last 49 days has been this. Thousands of people are protesting in the street for them. You know, if, if they weren't so bad, you would say that that's impressive. Efficacy is not the same thing as its morality. The fact that they're effective doesn't mean they're right. It's just they've certainly been shockingly effective in this whole experience. What has compelled them to give up some of the hostages? These are, after all, human shields for them. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the Israeli the Israeli military war machine has brought them to capitulation. Now, when people take hostages, the purpose of taking a hostage is utility, is leverage. That's the point. That the, other than that, it's just kidnapping or, and other things. But when we say a hostage, you know, there's a utility part of hostage takers when, when hostage takers take hostages it's they want something they need something they have they they have too much of something they have too little of something you know whatever it is but at the end of the day there's an ask that because it's, it's very hard it's very hard to keep a hostage it's very very hard to keep a hostage in a confined space and it's even harder when the whole world is looking for them and in this case there's a lot of them when hamas came across the border on october 7th they didn't accidentally you know take people and say now what do we do this was planned they wanted to have they wanted to have between 250 and 300 hostages hopefully women and children was their express intent therefore they had beds 
They had toys. They had bathroom facilities. They had fem- feminine hygiene products. All the th- it's it's very hard. The, the, the hostages are kept in a jail facility where there's guards and bars, and you go and get your hair cut, and if you do a good job, we give you TV privileges. These people are underground, or they're in homes, they're locked in closets, they're hidden. It takes work to guard them, to feed them, toothpaste, toilet paper, basic stay-alive stuff. All had to be resourced and pre-planned and pre- pre-set and all those things. And that's why the hostages coming out, when, when you debrief them, and a little bit's coming out, the majority of them are in relatively good shape. That's an indicator of preparation. That's an indicator. So, you know, the, the size, the amount of the hostages is very compelling. The demographics are as expected. They killed a lot of the men and they took all the women and children because it's scary and it brings leverage. And I, using information and more importantly, the lack of information as a weapon of war is a key part of taking a hostage. And I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Today, as we speak right now, we talk about the American hostages. Today, we actually don't know who they have. We haven't received proof of life on a single person. We assess, we have a good idea, we know who's missing, you know, those kinds of things. But so much of that is deductive reasoning. The Israeli hostages, they, they let somebody go that everybody thought was dead. You know, uh, there's, Correct. there's people that are Correct. dead that they think are hostages. It's, it's really brutal. The fear factor, Hamas is an expert at this. They invented some of these tactics that every other bad guy group out there has emulated and copied to some extent. The good news is, is that if you're going to be a hostage, I would rather be taken by Hamas, sadly, than by a bunch of Somali pirates and flip-flops and, you know, who haven't seen a toothbrush in their lives. You know, they, they, they know what they're doing. If that's what is Project Dynamo involved in that you can talk about in terms of dealing with the situation in Gaza? So uh, in Israel, in the, in the whole war, we, we basically have four lines of effort. One, we, and we come up with funny names for all of them. Moses is our, is our big aviation program. As soon as the war started, we immediately we did a no-notice launch, meaning something happens, we pack our stuff, and we are in the air as quickly as we can. We got boots on ground the next day in Tel Aviv, the next day. And we started finding Americans that needed to get out. Iron Dome was very active. Missiles are landing everywhere. I, I usually lead the teams. So I was there myself. I launched. Um, and we took out just over 300 Americans over five or six different multidimensional operations by land and air. and get them out of the country because we don't know what the future will bring. Right? And that's how this stuff works. Another uh, line of operation is, is what we call NOAA. NOAA are Americans and allies that are stuck in Gaza. They're not hostages, but they can't get out. Right. They can't get out. Then we have a program called David. David are the hostages. Those are people who are in, the, in, the, in captivity, and it's important to say, not just by Hamas. There are many, multiple groups that are doing this sort of thing, um, that are doing this sort of thing. That's not just Hamas. But if, so if you're in captivity and you're in Gaza, you're a David. And then we have a program called Genesis, which is our humanitarian effort, which is bringing, thing, bringing supplies, uh, humanitarian supplies and other equipment into Israel for, uh, for the folks that need it. Um, I feel like there's uh, so much more that we could talk about. Um, Brian, where can people find out about Project Dynamo and how can they help? Our social media is pretty good. We have uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter or whatever it's called now and LinkedIn. <laughs> right. I ask everyone... I have somebody, I'm not a social media guy, I have somebody that does that for me, but I ask everyone to please like us and share our stuff. We develop so many leads for people that are stuck in bad places from social media. I could care less if you like my stuff, 
but it helps us operationally to get people out. Please, Project Dynamo, uh, go look up Project Dynamo on all the different platforms. Like us and share, share, share. We have, it has saved lives. People can also go to projectdynamo.org. You go to the website. You can see all, all of our stuff. There's two functions of the website, or three functions. We just got a store. I, I officially have, uh, like, space balls. We have Project Dynamo, the T-shirt now, which is kind of <laughs> fun. Okay. Um, but that's where you can go to ask for help. If you are a family member and someone that you know is stuck, contact us. I don't walk around Gaza hoping to bump into somebody. We're very targeted and focused. That's where you can go to ask for help. That's also where you can go to give help. All the money goes to operations. The airplanes do not fly themselves. Uh, trucks in Gaza do not drive themselves. Gas is crazy money. I'm at $180 a gallon right now in Gaza for a gallon of gas. Wow. So please help every dollar. Every dollar is helpful. If you can give, give. If you can give a lot, please give a lot. We're tax deductible at 501c3. We're as real as it gets. We put all of our stuff on social media so you can see that we're real and legitimate. There's so many scam groups out there. We're not one of those. And, uh, but that's, that's really what we need is we need public support to help us out with these operations. I fully expect this is going to be a long-term problem. Uh, Hamas is talking about doing October 7th every single day. They just gave a speech uh, two days ago in Beirut. So we haven't seen the end of this. Iran is obviously just getting started. This is, this is phase one of a many years long campaign. We need help, and frankly, the U.S. government isn't in a position to help right now. So that leaves us, and I can't do it without your help. Brian, thanks so much. And we continue to pray for the safe return of all the hostages. When we come back on Two Jewish, we'll hear about next week's guest get a final musical playout. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki tribe. Thanks for being here with us this morning on Two Jewish with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Join us next week. Our guest will be Don Futterman, author of the terrific new coming-of-age novel, Adam Unrehearsed. And please join us at Congregation Beit Simcha every Friday night for services in Onig Shabbat at 6.30 p.m., Saturday morning too, 9 a.m. Torah study, and 10 a.m. services, Torah reading in Kiddush, live in person and on our Facebook page. And coming up a week from tonight, Sunday, December 10th, the 5th anniversary celebration of Congregation Beit Simcha. Amazing. Lighting the way for Hanukkah and our big birthday. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org to sign up and celebrate. Our play out this morning is for Hanukkah coming up this Thursday, December 7th. Join me and my dad for nightly virtual Hanukkah menorah lightings on the Beit Simcha Tucson Facebook page every night of Hanukkah at 5.30 p.m. Our play out is a funky Hanukkah jam. My friends, may you have a Shavua Tov, a good week, a healthy week, a Chag Hanukkah Sameach, a Chag Orim Sameach, a wonderful festival of lights, and a week we pray profoundly of justice and peace. <laughs> Oh.
Sponsored by two Jewish radio programs, Tucson, Arizona.